Sovereign Grace of Mead Valley, www.sovereigngracecc.org. So um, anyway, it's, it's great to be in the house of God. Great to be with you. Great to see all of you here. Um, it's just such a, a joy. And um, Pastor Gabe prayed, prayed for us, uh, so I'm not going to pray again, but I do want you to kind of get prepared. I don't know if it's up there, but we're going to be going from Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I'm going to be covering... I'm going to refer to most of the, the passage there in chapter 6, but I'm, I'm really going to just read through verse 9, 1 through 9. And, uh, but bef- just kind of get that ready so when I get there. The, the, the one thing that uh, I want to talk to you about is that God is for us, right? God for us, our children, and our grandchildren, so our inheritance, our inheritance is God himself. As, as we inherit him, right? We didn't, we didn't earn God, our relationship with God. God gave himself to us. And, and because it's a gift, God is a gift, it's not it. God is a gift himself, that relationship with God. We then have something to pass on to our children. And not only to our children, but to our children's children. So we're going to be using a lot of terms like covenant, treaties, will. But in the end, what I want us to walk away with is that God for us, our children, and our grandchildren. That that faith in God is something that transcends everything else. And I'm going to cover a few things as we go through the uh, Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6. But one of the verses that outside of Deuteronomy, Proverbs, how many of you like to read Proverbs? Yeah? Amen, amen. So one of the verses that I lived by for, for a while there was that a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. But a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. And the part that I lived, I was trying to live up to is, I had in my mind that though I was going to try to get five houses for each one of my kids, right? And my grandkids. Um, but that, that didn't quite work out. That didn't quite work out. So, but, but the idea here is that, that in our living for God, we don't live just for ourselves. We live for God. And we live by his principles, by what he calls us to. Have you guys ever seen a sticker that says, live long enough to spend your children's inheritance? <laughs> right? Have you seen that? Live long enough to spend your children's inheritance. And unfortunately, it's the American life. Right? To live the American dream is to have all these things. And when you have all these things, it consumes all that you have. And not only all that you have, but you get credit cards. And so you spend even more. 
And eventually, what happens is that you're spending just to pay things off. I mean, you're working just, just to pay things off. And so you become unintentionally bound up. And you work day and night. And who's the master then? So what we want to do, what God is calling us to do, is to live, is to live unto God. As God's people, our hope is not what, in what we can accumulate. It is not how much we make, it's not even our status. Our hope is in God. Amen? Amen. Our hope is in God. God is our inheritance. God himself is our inheritance. God is what we leave as an inheritance to our children and to their children. Nothing else will stand the test of time. Right? How many people do you know that have made it and lost it all? Right? Right? So that happens. So that's not, you know, as a Christian, our call is something different. So with that, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and read with me. And this is uh, just a, a, as a matter of introduction. Moses is speaking to a new generation here. He had already lost the generation that came out of Egypt. They had been disobedient. They had been uh, done away with. And so this new generation is coming. They had been living under slavery. So let me read this to you. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as, as you live, keeping all his decrees and commands that I gave you, that I give you, so that you may enjoy long life. Verse 3, hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, again, two times he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your home and on your gates. God's word. May he reveal what he wants for us this morning. Um, I was just telling my daughter that, that there are times where, um, where I'm preaching. I wish it happened more often, but there are times where I have preached where I almost sense like God speaks directly from heaven to people. And that somehow I get a little bit of that, Right? So my hope and my prayer today is that even though I am speaking to you, that God himself 
that you would hear God himself speaking to you. Speaking to whatever situation that you're in here today. Because that's, that's in the end what we want, why we come to church. We come to church not to hear the preacher, not to hear the worship leader. We come to hear from God. We come to worship God. Amen? So this is a reminder, this, this passage is a reminder that we are blessed because we have this relationship with God. And this, this, this passage here, this whole book, it is, it is arranged in such a way, kind of like what they used back then. When, back then when one nation conquered another nation, the king would issue a treatise. And he would say, I, their name, am your king. And this is the way I want you to behave. This is the way, if you're going to be in my kingdom, this is how I want you to be. So in the same way, Moses writes this in a form of a treatise. It is, he, God himself identifies that he is God. He is our God, Right? Do you guys see that? He says, these are commands and decrees, laws, the Lord, your God. So even though they're coming from Moses, Moses is only the deliverer. Because the true authority and the true direction and the true laws are coming from God himself. Right? So... He, it's, it's, it's written like, like, a, like a treatise, but it, it's not quite completely a treatise either, and I'll get into that. And then the other thing I want you to, to notice is that the book of Deuteronomy, how many of you know Latin a little bit? Yeah? So do you know the, what the meaning of Deuteronomy? It's, it's like the second, the second law. And, uh, and basically, and I said Latin, but it, I think it comes out of the Greek. But really what, what uh, the Hebrew is like looking again, okay? And somehow the Greek interpreted that as meaning a second, a second covenant. But this is exactly like the first covenant that was written back in Exodus. The only reason he's saying take a second look at it is because now you've got a new generation, Right? The old generation, they actually saw God and heard from God. They physically saw God, okay? There were people who were enslaved. And so the covenant with them meant freedom from Egypt. So as God is, as Moses is speaking to these people who are now free, he's having to remind them, hey, I want you to take a second look at this. A second look at this. Because now that you're free... It's, it's going to be different for you. It's not going to be the same as it was for the Egyptians who were literally enslaved. Right? God is still the same. The covenant's still the same. The laws are still the same. But it's a new generation. So things are going to have to be explained to them in a way that makes sense for them. They've been out of enslavement. They've been free. They're now going into a promised land. They're going into things that are going to be a blessing for them. I remember being a chaplain as a volunteer. I'd get off work at 
you know, 7 o'clock at night. Uh, not, se- uh, not 7 o'clock. I get, I get home probably about 6, 6.30. By 7, I'd be at the jail, at the county jail. And uh, every time we would go there, I, sometimes I would meet people from church. Uh, they got themselves in trouble, you know, younger people, they get themselves in trouble. And then other times I just meet people who were in the faith. You know, they expressed that they knew Jesus, that they walked with Jesus, that they wanted to have Bible studies. And the, and the times that they got the most stressed was not when they were in jail. It was when they were going to get out, when they were going to face their freedom. So why would they be afraid when they were free? Because they were afraid they'd go right back to the same things that, kept, that got them there in the first place. And many times that's what happened. Many guys were like, it's a revolving door. They were there, came back, went out, came back. So Moses is, 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 is trying to get the attention of this new generation. You know, this is not going to be for you. Because you are going to serve the Almighty God. You're going to walk with the Almighty God. Now, I know a lot of you guys don't have that problem, right? Like when we're in freedom, it's like, great, we don't get into any trouble. (laughs) And guess what? If we depend on ourselves, we will get into trouble. But the message that I hope you hear here is that we don't depend on ourselves. We depend on this almighty God who calls on us. And now the second part of this passage that why I told you it's kind of like a treatise and not a treatise is that it has an executor, like a will. Okay? How many of you have your wills written out? How many of you should have your wills written out? (laughs) Okay? So the treatise, just the king says, hey, this is what I want you to do. Uh, And I don't think Necessarily, the king would need an executor. He's got, he's got an army, right? But in this case, who's the executor here? Who's the executor? Well, in this one, it's Moses, right? So God, God is the one that is giving the instructions. But who is called in to say, this is what you ought to do, people? Who gathers the people and says, hey, you know, um, if you look at a will, they gather the people, right? What, what do they do? And then, and then they say, okay, you get so, 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 and you don't get anything, right? And then there's lawsuits and all sorts of things. But in this case, Moses himself is called to gather the people and let them know what God desires. So in that way, it is, a, it is, in a way, a treatise, and it is, in a much better way, also a will. So it's a covenant, a covenant that God has with his people. Now, this is Israel that he's talking to in Deuteronomy, right? But how does that work when we're talking about the church? How does that work when we're talking about Christ now? And I'm thinking that that's why God says, 
that Jesus is the giver of a, of a new covenant, right? But is it really a new covenant? Isn't it the same covenant? But the executor now, the guy who says this is what is going to happen, is no longer a man like Moses, right? But it is Christ himself, God himself, that becomes the person who executes. Moses, Moses could only tell the people, right? Moses could only tell the people, but Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is able to bring about God's will by his sacrifice, by his blood. He is able to bring into each and every one of you the righteousness that Moses was saying you need to have. But now through Christ, he is not only telling, but he's also ensuring that God's will is done. Amen, amen. Hebrews 10, starting with verse 8, he says, First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though you offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And then skipping down to verse 16, he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write on them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. And where there have been forgiven, and, and where these have been forgiven, Sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So in Christ, not only does he declare God's will, but he ensures God's will. He is able to bring about his will in God's people. Do you guys get that picture? So even though he talks about a new covenant, it's not a new covenant at all, but it's, it's a new executor a new person who executes. Before, remember when I said Deuteronomy is not the second time a covenant is brought about. It is brought up, he's saying, uh, like, look again, because it's a covenant with a new generation, right? In this case, Moses was the first person that presented the will, but now as Christ is coming, it's a second person, not a second covenant. But in a way, it's new because Moses had power only to, to declare and praying that God would work through the hearts of people, right? But now Christ, because he comes, forgives us our, our sins, imputes into us righteousness, then through us, through each one of us, lives out righteousness and is perfect, right? So our lives, we don't have to, we don't have to like really make an effort. It's not like, like we're trying to be holy. It's that God himself brings in us that desire and creates in us a desire to be a holy people. Right? Now there is effort. There is effort. But it's not, it's not a human effort. 
It's an effort that's created in us as God works his will into our lives and shapes us and does away with those things that are not of God. So in that way, he brings about a righteousness, a peace. And what I wanted to say here too is that, you know, I I don't want you to think, though, that because now we have Christ, God working in us, that everything is okay. Because everything is not going to be okay. Uh, We're going to face adversity. Right? So, you know, like even to right now, there's adversity going on. There's hurricanes, earthquakes, and things like that. And and some people, uh, how would I put it? Their faith is shaken. I heard one guy say, how does a God allow that to happen? If God is so for us, how does that happen? How does that happen? But I heard another guy say that, you know, when we are in adversity, when we are in adversity, who we are is revealed. Who we are. Are we a people of faith? Holding on to God? Are we really a people of faith because of what we think we're going to get out of that. That we're going to be a blessed people, which, which God says we will be a blessed people, right? Right? God says we will be a blessed people. But the, whatever material blessings that we receive is not our comfort, right? And, and if we only think about what we're going to be able to pass on in terms of material things, I think it's, it's a very shallow faith that we're thinking of and talking of. So what I'm talking about here is this faith in God, in a real God, in a living God, who is able to carry us through when things are going well, so well, that we could fall into sin. Okay? But also, when things are going so bad that we can get totally disillusioned and say, is there really a God? And have that kind, of, that kind of strength in faith in God. In knowing that He will see us through. Through the times where things are so good that we would forget about God. And through the times where things are so bad that we wonder if there is a God. That's, that's the inheritance that I hope that we can get from knowing this, this living God. Um, and if, if we settle on anything else, I think that we're being deceived. So let's, let me get back to this. Um, so then Moses... Oh, let's see if I can get this thing. It's... Uh, I'll do it like that. Can you hear me still? Okay. So... Find my place here. So this kind of faith is a faith 
Um, it, it, it's a faith that I think we're, we're not doing well with. And not, not this church, but as a church. Uh, and I'm not sure w- what is happening, but as in the U.S. especially, our younger people, they're not following the Lord. They're not interested in God. And, and the reason for that is that somehow we, the older folks, and, and now you, you're getting older, we're going to have to reflect on that and ask God. It, and it, it's, it's maybe some things that we do, but mostly it's are we, are we really taking into account that we belong to God, Right? Because according to this, he says, you know, this is a faith that is so powerful because it's a living God, the creator of the universe, has a relationship with me, right? So if, there, if this is so evident in my life, not only in what I say, but in how I live, and I think as we get into the text, you'll see that that's, that's, that's the case too. That as we live out our lives and people get to see this living God, our children are going to see. That's, that's real. Right? And, and somehow we've waned in that. We've waned in that. So verse 2. Let me see if I, if I, uh, I can read that. So, so, so basically Moses is saying, you know, pay attention to these things so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as, as, uh, as long as you live. by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, so that you too may enjoy long life. So, in some ways, it's, it's a little bit of, about how we, how we have this relationship with God and how evident this relationship with God is in our lives, so that our children, I mean, our children see everything, right? So they may hear things, but more than anything, they'll say this is the way things work, by the way we live, by the way we act. But in here, even though there's a, like an expectation from God, I also see a promise. I mean, we could read it the other way, make sure that your children no, right? We could read it that way. But I think if, if we look at it that way, then what, what do we have that would really work unless God himself is working? So what I see in this is that it's almost like a will in that way. And that there is a promise that if you follow God, if you're truly walking with God, the promise is that your children will follow the Lord. Right? And, and, and let me just say that there is this grace that even though I, as a man, follow the Lord and am sinful and imperfect, there is enough of God's um, 
showing himself of who he is in my life, right? That my children, though they see, you know, when they were younger, they didn't see that much, but as they got older, they got to see a lot more. You know, ask my son, he'll tell you. <laughs> but, but, guess what? They cannot deny the presence of a living God. So even though it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a saying, hey, make sure your children follow the Lord. It's also a promise that your children will follow the Lord. And why would God promise us that? I mean, why would God pull the people together and say, you're going to be the people that I'm going to make sure that you follow me and I'm going to protect you and keep you. I will be your God and you will be my people. Why would that, what, what, what is it about the Israelites? What is it about us? And the answer is found a little bit later in, in uh, Deuteronomy 7. 7, it says, Deuteronomy 7, 7, it says, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors from the land of slavery. That he brought you out of the out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the hand from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Nor know therefore that the Lord your God is God, he is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. So in that way, the choosing is not so much because of what we do, because of who we are, but because of his love for his people. And because of his love for his people, he says, your children will fear the Lord. So in Deuteronomy 6.20, he says, in the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? And this is what God wants you to tell them. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are able to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he commanded us, that will be our righteousness. So I don't know if it got your attention, but it did mine. You know, where do, what is another, like a, a thing that comes out of, out of following the Lord is righteousness. Right? And we all want to be holy. We all want to be doing the right things. And, and it's, it's not easy, and it doesn't always happen. But the promise is, if, as we follow the Lord, it, it will happen. And then the other thing is, is that you will enjoy prosperity, right? So right now, how many, of, how many preachers are out there preaching prosperity? Right? And it's, I mean, there's... there's it, there's a, there's a place for that because God is bringing his people out of slavery and today God is bringing people out of slavery. Poverty is, is, is a real thing, a terrible thing. 
So if we have this kind of thinking that is, I'll always be poor, I'll always have nothing. God wants to rid you of that too, right? But on the other hand, he doesn't want to free you from that so that you become enslaved in materialism either. But as a whole, as a whole, I mean, he, uh, if, as I remember Paul talking to his people, he says, not, not many of you were doing well when I first came. So as a whole, as a whole, as a church, our members, not only our members, but Christians, as you're coming to the Lord, there, there should be some expectation that if you're living paycheck to paycheck, if, you're, if your wages are terrible and you're not doing well, there should be a cry out to God and there should be an expectation that God will hear your cry and that that will change. Not saying that you're going to be driving a whatever expensive car you can think of or having this big humongous house, but that your need will not be your Lord. Just like if you go the other way, where, where you've got these things, that will not be your Lord either. But who is your Lord? It is God himself. Right? So it's, it's, this, it's this, you know, when you have a relationship with God, you're, he is entering into an agreement with you, a covenant that is both setting out expectations for you to live by, but also in it bringing about promises that if you live the way he wants you to live, you will not, let, let me just be bold and say, you will not be poor, you will not be poor because you feel helpless. If anything, you will decide that you want to be poor to serve the Lord. Okay? But, but it's not that you're poor because there's, there's no power in your life. Am, am, I, am I off here? Right? If you choose poverty, you choose it. But it's not Satan himself keeping you in poverty because you're now God's people. You mean you're humbling yourself before God, not, not wanting to be rich for the sake of God himself, God himself sets you up and gives you life. And Paul says, whether I be hungry and in poverty, you know, or, or having great wealth. So, this whole uh, thing, you know, of having faith in God, there should be a tangible, a tangible um, evidence that something's happened in your life, right? I mean, we, we think right away, if a person is out in the streets, a hooker or a drug addict or something, the Lord touches their life, we should see them, right? We should see a change in them. But I'm telling you here that in church sometimes we have people that are living hopelessly poor. Okay? And there's no, there's no calling out to God to say, hey, God, help me with this. So I don't want to, and maybe I, I went too far on this point, but or too long, maybe not too far, but too long. Uh, but I, I do want to challenge us that when we serve God, 
there are things that God expects of us, but it's not like a burden. And, and there is a, a lifestyle that happens, a change that happens, a, a, a setting our foot on, on solid ground, whether regardless of the circumstances around us, we know, we know that we're going to get through because God is with us. And as we, as I continue here, there's a, there's a couple of places where he says, Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey. And then in verse 4 it says, Hear, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And I always heard this as, you know, the Lord is one. One God, right? And, and, and then I said, well, what about the, the Trinity? And that's, that's one as well, right? They're three in one. But what I hear, what I see in this passage is that there is no other God. Israel, church, we only serve God. We serve no one else. That's, that's the message here. That as we sell ourselves out completely to serving God, God is the one who is there for us. And, and in a way, not, not only there for us like, okay, God is here, but God is fighting. God is literally in a battle. He's won. No harm, no harm from the evil one is able to touch us because the one God is for us. The one God is for us. So basically that's what he's saying. And now in terms of, of what he's requiring from us, in verse 5 it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So that's, that's what he's calling out for us. And even as he's calling out, we have Christ, the promise of Christ, who will bring that about in us. Whatever our relationship with God, back then it, they were saying, make sure that you have these laws in your heart, right? But now in Christ, the, the laws that are there, they're still there and we still have to abide by them, right? Don't murder, don't kill, all these things. But now the promise is that Christ himself will bring those about in our own lives. And then he says, Teach your children, impress them on your children. So we do have to, you know, if we're serving the Lord, we have to show this is how we do things to our children. Knowing that God himself will, will take whatever we do and he'll, he'll bring about his fruit in their lives as well. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. What we were doing evangelizing, I was just thinking that church doesn't start and end on Sunday mornings here. Church is seven days a week. Wherever you go, there is church. Wherever you see people, you talk to people, you let them know, God has done something in my life. And, I, and I, I've said this before, I'll say it again, it's Basically, it's one beggar saying, I found food, telling another beggar where he found it, right? And our food comes from Jesus, what really brings about life.
And then in verse 8 it says, Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. So back then they did have a custom where they, they would put these things all over physically outside. But for us, it is that we glorify God with the work that we have. Because the work that we have, it's a gift from God, right? So in all, in all our working relationships, we should be the kind of people that glorify God. We should be honest, integrity. We should, there should be integrity about how we work. There should be uh, quality in the work that we, that we do. I mean, I, I'll be the first to say that that doesn't always happen with me. But, but God wants that. God wants you to have this gift. He wants you to hone it. He wants you to have a, a calling. And, and whatever you do, God wants you to shine through that work. Right? Whatever you do, it's, it's, it's like glorifying God. And then he says, bind them on your foreheads. Now, was it that people, you know, why on their foreheads? Because here is where we have an identity. And that identity determines what we do. So if you have this identity that you're still enslaved, that you're still, guess what? You're going to live that way. But if in our minds we know that we belong to God, that God is fighting for us, then this identity gives us a new way to live. Our thoughts, we can arrest our thoughts. Jesus would tell the, 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 the Pharisees, why are you thinking that way, right? So some of the thoughts that we get, and men, I know that you'd probably be embarrassed to share some of the thoughts that you get. I know I would, right? But we have power. And women, I don't think you're you're exempt from that either. Uh, there's all sorts of things that come into our heads. Things that we think about people. That person did so that that that. Therefore, they are that 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 that. Right? You guys, does that happen to you or not? Right. So, so as God is saying, I can help you overrule your sinful ways in your. The, what you think about yourself, what you think about others. And then write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. So, is it about putting up signs that say, I love Jesus? You know, if, if your house says, hey, Christians are welcome here, is that what that's about? And I would say, maybe, but the real thing is that your house is known. Your house is known as a house of God. That your neighbors know there, those folks, they believe in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. So that's, that's and, and my friends, what I hope I can communicate, or I've communicated with you today, is that it's not what you do. It's not so much, I want to make sure that my house is a house of God. It's having that relationship with God 
so that when your house does not reflect that you belong to God, that you cry out to God and you say, God, I'm a terrible sinner right now. My house does not reflect that. And God is not going to come in like a conquering king who says, how dare you, you're out to hell or you're out on the streets. That's not the God that, that, is, that, that Moses is speaking of here. The God that Moses is speaking of is the God that went out and rescued an enslaved people out of Egypt and gave them power to walk in freedom. Amen? So the God that I hope you follow, that we follow as a church, is a God that is able to take all of us out of whatever bondages, whatever struggles that we have, and walk in powerful freedom. Walk in integrity. Walk doing things so well, and yet not fall into the sin of pride or arrogance or looking down on people, but have that kind of a relationship with God. And not only, not only in your homes, not only with your children, but that this church, this church, as we gather and as we worship God, that we would see the power of God break down all the things that hold us back personally and corporately, and that through that, we would see God, the living God, bringing about his will in this church. And we will see that happen, my friends. When we see that happen, guess what? God's will, God's power, will not only change this church, but it'll change this place. And I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about Mead Valley. Right? When we follow the Lord in that way, we're not just going to be speaking words, but we should see powerful change come about. Come about. And we're seeing it come about. And some of you don't live in, in Mead Valley. I live in Moreno Valley. We should see that happen there. Some of you live in uh, San Jacinto, right? Some of you live other places, whatever those places are. So as God's people, as we're moving, right? We have church. There should be this this, this in, we have this power that comes, that comes from God. We've inherited from God. So with that, I, I hope that you hear that this inheritance that we, that we have from God, this co it's, it's, it's a covenant, it's an agreement, but in that agreement comes both a requirement that God wants us to live a certain way, but also a promise that we will be his people and that we will not we will not be ensnared by this world by the desires of this world by the desires of our own flesh we will overcome we will overcome whether and even when there's great uh, success we will not fall back into sin when there's great need we will not be overcome by it we will be a people that other people know. God, God is with those people. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, Heavenly Father. Thank you for uh, your word. And Father, I pray that uh, 
even now, Lord God, that you would speak, speak to our hearts, to our minds, that there would be clarity about what each one of us is, is being called to do, that you would uh, give us clarity as a church, that you would awaken us, Almighty God, that you would take away any apathy, any carelessness,